Super Talk Mississippi media production. What if everyone was turning their head to look at you with a brand new Flowmaster exhaust system from Exhaust Pro in Macomb on Georgia Avenue? Cruise in style with Exhaust Pro of Macomb on Georgia Avenue. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the story straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. Today, my guest is an athlete who blazed a trail in her chosen line of work and sport like few have done. Her story can arguably be compared to Michael Jordan in basketball, Muhammad Ali in boxing. Those select few who became bigger than the skill itself. As the world got to know and love her, that fearless competitor with that bright smile in the game of golf, she would go on to win over 50 times, including three major championships, all coveted U.S. Opens. Her first nine wins alone came in her rookie season on the LPGA Tour. We could read a series of books about all her accolades, in golf and in life but instead we'll get the cliff notes version right here her story today on in a mississippi minute please welcome a real hall of famer nancy lopez what's up nancy hey steve um not too much just um had knee surgery about uh, 17 days ago knee replacement wow and uh, i'm just trying to babysit that and i'm doing great so all right so this is your second replacement my second i have two bionic knees now (laughs) the six million dollar lady i like it (laughs) hey so tell me about the just the different my brother's an orthopedic surgeon and 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 so uh, every once in a while i'll uh i'll ask him questions or been in surgery i've never been uh and actually my brother-in-law does a lot of knee replacements so tell me about just the recovery time well it's really been pretty easy. Uh, the doctor that I had do my knees, there's a new procedure that they do where it's called uh, um, non-invasive to the muscle that goes over the top of your knee. Mm-hmm. Um, they always did this surgery before, and they still do it, but they cut this big tendon that's over the top of your knee. Well, my doctor comes in from the side, so they don't have to cut that big tendon. So, I mean, recovery time, I mean, I'm, I, I was walking the next day, been doing great with my therapy and um you know pretty much can walk without anything now wow we're talking to nancy lopez nancy let's talk do you think just all of the walking all of the bending squatting getting back up reading putts back up i mean do you think that 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 is credited to your knees just finally finally saying i've had enough well i think a lot of that has to do with sometimes you have bad knees in your family um i don't really know that for sure but I, as a freshman in high school, I tore my cartilage in my left knee playing flag football. So it had nothing to do with <laughs> golf at that time. 
That's so funny. <laughs> um, so I, I tore my, my cartilage in half. Back then, I pretty much removed um, the cartilage and left you with whatever they could. And then I ended up tur- uh, messing up my ACL on my right knee. I was playing in Europe and slipped and messed up my ACL. So with all the, the working out, the walking, I'm right. sure a lot of stuff that I did in golf, uh, with those two events that happened to my knees, it probably didn't help. Um, and both my knees became bone on bone after right. a few years. I started started having issues about age 40. And mm-hmm. so I've been hurting for a long time. I just kept thinking, let's wait for a little bit to see if there's any really great new procedures. And also, you know, I wanted to be able to have one knee replacement and not have to have another one, uh, you know, when I'm 90 years old. I didn't want to have to do that. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping they last a long time. And, and now I've come to find out that they definitely do. And, you know, they don't have to give you a total knee replacement. If it's wore out, they open you up and they replace a little uh, ball bearing or whatever you want to call that inside your knee. And it's not major surgery. So I think I'll be doing pretty good the next few years. And, you know, I haven't played golf and walked uh, in a long, long time. So my goal is to be able to walk 18 holes, swing a golf club, and play golf the way I used to many years ago. I love it. You know, you remind me, you say ball bearings. It just, every time I think of Chevy Chase, besides Caddyshack, I think of the movie Fletch, and he said it's all ball bearings these days. You know, I love, I love it. We're talking to Nancy Lopez. Nancy, let's go back. You talked about your your first injury in high school, and you're playing flag football. Okay, okay both of us, we grew up in an era where, where women, they were just select sports. And, and, they were, and the ones that were so good would play with the guys, right? We would, you know, the baseball players, I was a catcher, and one of the best pitchers was a girl, and, and the best shortstop was always this one girl. And so did you play sports with the guys as a kid? No, not no. The flag football event was um, we had uh, some sororities in our high schools, and we raised money for different um, okay. events or charities or whatever in our in the city of Roswell, New Mexico, where I grew up. And so we were raising money for a family to give their son um, some surgery that he needed. So I didn't really play sports with the guys. I did play golf on the golf team with the mm-hmm. guys, but I played all sports. I was very athletic. Um, and when I tried to play on the boys' golf team, this was before Title IX, and girls really weren't allowed to play in sports with guys at that time. They would, they did not allow it. And wow. the rule at that time was girls were not allowed to play in boys' sports because of body contact. Mm. Well, I was on J- junior varsity on the boys' golf team because of this ruling. And at that time, there was a civil liberties union lawyer that lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and contacted me and said, you know, this is ridiculous. Golf isn't a body contact sport, so would you like to play on varsity? And I said, I would love to play on varsity. So she went to um, the Board of Education and said, you know, why can't Nancy play? There's not a girls' golf team, so she should be allowed to play with the boys if she qualifies to be on the team. So with that, we never had to take anybody to court. They ruled that, yes, or no, golf didn't, was not a body contact sport. And if I could uh, qualify to play on the boys team and there was not a girls golf team, that I was allowed to do that. So I was able, able to play on my high school golf team. I was number fourth woman on the team, and the other, guy, the other ones were guys. I, only had, I was the only woman playing uh, golf at that time on a boys golf team. 
And what what grade were you in again? I was a junior and a senior. Okay, so your number school. was there any guys that were that ended up becoming tour players or that could beat you, or you do you go in as a number one at that point? Yeah, no, but they were really good amateur players. Never turned professional. That's amazing. That's just amazing. You know, Roswell. You know, that's I've, I've played Roswell, believe it or not, um, and had the best fajita. I've ever had because I always substitute bell pepper. I do jalapeno instead, and they brought me out serranos. I never had a serrano pepper. This is years and years ago, uh-huh. and and I saw the color, and it was the greatest fajita. I still, I still remember it because it was that moment. And obviously, you guys are in the land of the aliens, right? You talking about the aliens? Yeah, supposedly. Yeah, <laughs> I played the festival. <laughs> I, I still have the T-shirt. <laughs> so. <laughs> But it was pretty pretty cool. We're talking to Nancy Lopez. Nancy, when did golf like it was it your dad or mom or both or friends or who turned you on to the game of golf and when did it bite you? Like the true bug. You know, I uh, <clears throat> my mom and dad played. My dad was a good player. My mom pretty much just did it to hang out with my dad and exercise and I, you know, basically was just a tag along little girl that came out with her mom and dad and um I just, I think from the very beginning, I loved it. And that was probably about age seven um, when I started kind of tagging along with my mom and dad on the golf course. And um, like I said, my dad was a pretty good little amateur player. My mom wasn't very good, but she enjoyed being out on the golf course. And I got the bug pretty quick. I think um, my dad decided to just let me swing a golf club eventually, and that was at age eight. And from that moment, uh, I fell in love with golf. It was just something that um, there was a lot of desire to hit that ball a long way. And, <laughs> of course, you know, you go through a lot of things when you're young and you're learning to play the game. And I remember my dad would let me tee the ball up all the way down the fairway because I didn't like hitting it off the ground. So <laughs> I would tee it up all the way down the fairway. And, um, you know, my dad was not a professional golfer, but the only tip he ever gave me, especially at the very beginning, he didn't try and help, you know, help me grip the club a certain way or swing it certain way he just said he said to me nancy every time you swing make connection so that was my goal was that every time i swung at the ball to make sure i made contact with it and that's that's the way he described it to me when i was eight years old well it just did it just stay with you that thought especially in tough times oh, yeah. when you were going through some struggles sometimes you go back to the very beginning right the basic thing <laughs> Right. I don't I don't it remember you struggling a lot. A lot. My dad was um <laughs> was really fun to be on the golf course with. Um, you know, he wasn't a parent that tortured you if you didn't play good. He just enjoyed being out there with you. And um he taught me a lot about the mental part of golf and he was a very positive man and I think, you know, with that I became a very positive golfer. You know, I have a new company called Nancy Lopez Golf Adventures and we use a lot of my dad's philosophies, and one of them, one of our big, well, it's our mantra is play happy, because my dad would look at me many times. He says, he says, Nancy, you know, you play better when you play happy, <laughs> and so that's become our mantra for the company, um, because it's so true. And through my company, I'm trying to teach people all the time to have a play happy philosophy, and I think it really does help them once they get it, and that doesn't take very long for them to get it. Oh, the influences and the mark uh, our parents especially make in such a positive way on our entire lives, how it makes comes full circle after a full career and an amazing career. We're talking to Hall of Famer Nancy Lopez. You're in the Mississippi Minute. We're going to be right back. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
We are with Hall of Famers. Just amazing. I can't tell you the times and the joys I had sitting with my dad and watching Nancy Lopez do her thing on the golf course. Nancy, did when did your dad know, okay, wait a minute, there's something, I mean, you know, when you started to, you know, and actually hit it off the fairway rather than off the tee, <laughs> when, when did he know th- that, okay, this is something? I mean, because you're not like just a regular player and you're not like I, I said in my intro. I mean, you've had such a special career that few have ever had in any sport. So when does he find out and go, okay, wait a minute, this is different? You know, I don't I don't know if when that was, but I know that he uh, gave me opportunity because, we, you know, we were probably lower middle class, but Dad worked really hard and saved money to give me the opportunity to play the game. And I think as he watched me develop and he gave me opportunity to play in tournaments like in the summertime, playing <clears throat> like the U.S. Juniors, the mm-hmm. U.S. Amateur, events like that, he wanted to give me opportunity to compete and to get used to being nervous and the pressures of playing golf. Um, I ended up winning in New Mexico the Women's State Amateur when I was 12 years old. I know. That's and amazing. I think at age 12 at that time, he probably thought, you know, maybe I have a little golfer here that might be able to turn <laughs> professional one day. But, of course, you know, that was a dream, and we never really talked about it. But there was not pressure to get on the tour. It was more for his concern is that I went to school. He wanted me to go to school, get an education, and I think if I turned professional, it was something that he was going to let me decide. It wasn't him that was going to decide that for me. I think he gave me the chance to be whatever I wanted to be by you know, contributing to my little amateur career that I had and, and giving me the chance to play in golf tournaments all that he could afford to pay for. Uh, during the summer times, he was um, very supportive in any way that he could be, and so was my mom. You know, she didn't play golf after I started playing. She quit and just started walking with us and watching us play because she didn't want, she said that she didn't want people watching her hit it, and they would stop to watch me. So she said, I didn't want anybody to watch me. So she ended up, you know, being the 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 uh, uh, the fan, the person that went out there to watch me play, Pretty much is very very nervous all the time, always hiding behind trees, not really wanting to watch the pressure, watch me play golf. Well, it's hard as a a, way harder than a parent to watch your kid than it was to do it. There's no no, there's no comparison. Oh, Uh, for sure. I mean, the love that a parent has for the child first of all, and then you just don't want them to do anything but succeed. You know, so I get that. I love. I mean, I I bet you just. I, I imagine you as a little girl. And just seeing all that. And did you, you talk about it now like, well, it's, it's a no-brainer. But did you notice it back then, her nervousness, when you were oh, young? Oh, yeah. I mean, she was, like, you know, hiding. <laughs> she, didn't want, she didn't want to see what happened. She wanted to know the result, but she didn't want to watch it. <laughs> That's so good. I love it. We're talking to Nancy Lopez. Nancy, so you go and you win a state M at 12. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. All right, you go and you go to college and you go to Tulsa. Was there a coach at at some point that just sort of obviously there's usually a coach. You didn't have the, you know, uh, compared to today now when everybody's just in the system, it seems like, and they're going to accumulate all these points, and you got to compete all over the place to be noticed. Um, you get how, how does Tulsa happen? You know, during that time, like I said, even at that time, it was before Title Nine and. 
I told my dad that I wanted to go to school, but if I didn't get a scholarship, I was not going to go to school because I didn't want him to have to pay <clears throat> for my education when right. I felt like I deserved a scholarship. And at that time, my goal was to go to Arizona State. Uh, that's where I wanted to play golf, and you know they didn't really have a girls' golf team. At that time, Tulsa, Dale McNamara was my golf coach, and she was just starting a girls' golf team at that time. And <clears throat> um, I ended up winning a partial scholarship from Colgate Palmolive, which Colgate, Colgate Palmolive was a big advocate for, for amateur golf. And Mr. Foster, who was the president and CEO at that time, um, was giving a partial scholarship to you know, a young amateur, and I I ended up winning the first year. Wow. I won that partial scholarship, and it just happened that Tulsa said that they would give pay, or at least pay for half of my scholarship also, um, if I decide to go to Tulsa. And uh, at that time, you know, I wanted to play golf, but I also wanted to get a degree, and, and that degree was in engineering, and Tulsa had a great engineering school. So I chose Tulsa, too, because I could get a full ride and my dad didn't have to pay for it. So I went to Tulsa and uh, played two years there. We had a really good golf team for a startup golf team. Um, a couple of the players that played on that team ended up turning professional. And then the team grew through the years, and they had a few uh, championship teams that played for Tulsa. Went for two years, and after two years of struggling with grades because we were always playing golf, practicing, traveling, uh, I had tutors teach me calculus and college algebra and college mm-hmm. trig and all these really tough classes that I was pretty much a straight C student. And, um, <laughs> the, you know, school kind of looked at me and said, well, you know, you've got to make a decision. Are you going to play golf um, for the school or are you going to, you know, do well in school? Because I, they were either going to take me off the golf team until my grades got better. Right. And, um I just decided, you know, I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, I, you know, I need to either decide to uh, be a full-time student and not play golf or play golf and leave school. And, you know, we talked about it for a little bit, and then I decided at that time I'd, I'd try the LPG Tour, and, you know, now it's history. Let's talk about, we're talking to Nancy Lopez. You, you go on tour, right, and you, you, your first year is outrageous. It's, it's outrageous. So how fast did it happen? No, okay. Well, let's back up for a second, because I know you 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 did a you played in the U.S. Open while you were an amateur and almost won it, and then you and how old were you then? And then that year, how quick did it? Did you how, how long did it take to win? I guess two questions. <clears throat> well, I finished second um, in the U.S. Open in Atlantic City, and I I was uh, seventeen, and then I finished second again. The week before I went to the qualifying school for LPG, for the LPJ qualifying school at Hazeltine, I finished second behind Hall of Stacy. Um, and so, you know, when I started on the tour, you know, as an amateur, first of all, you go back to your amateur career, and as an amateur, you know, being ranked number one amateur in the country was right. a big deal. And so I was able to accomplish that. And so going on the tour, you didn't feel like, you know, you were at the top, of course. You had all these professionals that were better than you, and your goal was to, you know, maybe win one tournament that first year, mm-hmm. if you could, if you were that quality of player, because you played with so many. I mean, I played with so many great players during that time, and I felt like, you know, I was back down at the bottom of the totem pole again, and I was going to try and, you know, make make some kind of career out of it, and hoping that I could win one tournament. Well, 
I ended up winning, um, well, I, I qualified for, for my card in July of 77, and I ended up finishing second in a few events before I even turned professional. And then, turning professional, I won a couple more second places before the end of the year um, in 77. Then 78 came up, and I went to Sarasota in Florida, and I ended up winning um, that tournament in February, um, the first part of the year, I won that tournament, and it just kind of snowballed. It was more like, okay, I want to win one tournament, and now I've won one, and it seemed seemed a little easier than I thought it was going to be just because I was able to win. Of course, I was nervous. I was very nervous when I won that first tournament, but... It just seemed like, you know, as a as a golfer, you're trying to climb that mountain, and then when you win that tournament, it's like, okay, you've gone over the top of that mountain, and now it's downhill from there in a good way because it seemed easier. So I ended up winning nine tournaments my rookie year, and I ended up winning five in a row during that time, and, you know, of course, winning money and, and having, um, you know, breaking records and, you know, having money that I never had in my pocket um, was... I mean, it was such a great experience and so much fun to be able to play a game that I felt like I could play very well and to be able to to win and and make money and enjoy doing what I was doing. It was just really a special rookie year for me, and and my dad was able to see that. My mom, unfortunately, passed away in 77 at the end of the year, so she never saw me win any golf tournament, but she did see me finish second a few times. Oh, well, she was watching from a tree in the sky. I can promise you that, looking down yeah, on her baby yeah. girl. We're talking to Nancy Lopez. <laughs> Nancy, the, the five in a row, once you got hot, right? And that, that was your first, So you win once, and then you win four straight times after that? Or, or, is, it, or is it in the middle? When, when does the five in a row happen? That happened kind of in the middle of the season. Okay. It didn't start with that first win in, in February. I mean, you look back and you go, do you ever go, that's a lot of wins. <laughs> you know, it's just, just, do you ever just yeah. do that? <laughs> I do look back and go, wow, how did I do that? <laughs> I just think it's an amazing, amazing, amazing story. And, uh, and we're just, we're just fighting our way through it. And I appreciate you taking the time to do a Mississippi minute with me. It's awesome. Uh, now you get to play DJ cause, uh, in to the break we always celebrate that mississippi is the birthplace of american music and that's where it is so would you like to hear bb king or elvis presley oh elvis presley well there you go the king of rock and roll and the king of the link and the queen of the links probably king too probably both we're talking to nancy lopez we're gonna be right back on suspicious In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We're with Hall of Famer, LPGA, and beyond in life, period, Nancy Lopez. I've been looking forward to this interview, hoping that her knee would hurry up and she'd get it worked on and... Uh, and then get uh, get situated where I could have this conversation. Women in sports, and I know we're not all the way there yet, but it's obviously there's so many more opportunities and in, in sports all around the 
board that men have played. What do you think took it so took so long for it for women to get their due in sports? You know, Steve, it just I still feel like they don't have their due. Um, <clears throat> you know, as a as a amateur player growing up, and as a woman and a Hispanic woman also. Um, you know, back in those days, you know, the, the, there just wasn't opportunity, and and no one was giving you any opportunity. Um, I remember being a female trying to play on a golf course. I had to play before nine o'clock or after four o'clock, or there was always rules and regulations. Um, so, you know, as an amateur, there was a lot of struggling that went on. And then as I turned professional, went on the tour, the purses were okay. They weren't great. Of course, for me, they were great because I didn't have any money. So winning yeah. was <laughs> awesome. As I looked at the the women's tour and then I looked at the men's tour, the purses were um, way different. I mean, the women were making, I don't know how much a year, and the guys were making five times, six times more. And I know as a rookie, I said, you know, we're going to catch up one day with the guys. We're going to catch up and make the money they're making. And <clears throat> yeah, maybe we caught up to where they were, but then they went higher. I know that has a lot to do with the players. We have great players on our tour, but we need that one player like a Tiger Woods that went on to the PGA Tour and brought a lot of people in the gates because he was just fabulous. And we need a player like that to bring people in the gate. I always say, and I don't know how you can ever change it, I know that most of the CEOs of big corporations, they want to rub elbows with the PGA Tour, not necessarily the LPGA Tour. But to me, if they ever had an opportunity to have an LPGA event, they would get their money's worth even more so than the PGA Tour. Not, nothing bad against the PGA Tour because the guys are great and I know them. But I think we should have had the same opportunity because we have just as great a tour, players that work just as hard. We just need to have the opportunity to be able to uh, open the doors for the LPGA with more television time, which, like I said, they're going to give us more television time if they have that superstars are going to be able to watch every weekend so as you've watched the lpga tour and i don't want to harp so much on this because i'd rather talk about just you but i am seeing it becoming more global and i'm seeing a lot of people from canada now and england obviously and in different parts of the world but for a moment i was losing the american golfer there were so many from the from the asian countries and and so do you feel like it got to the point where it felt a little uneven and you didn't know who you were watching. And yeah. that's so important. It's like going to a concert and going, well, who is that? I bought a ticket and I don't know who I'm going to see. You know, Steve, it really kind of started, I think, I feel like I was able to add something to the LPG Tour during that time because there were so many great players and people weren't paying attention to the LPG Tour, but I was able to come out and start winning. <clears throat> then Lorena Choa came along and right. on right. Sorenstam and... The thing is, to me, they left the tour too long, too early. And, you know, if, if Lorena would have kept playing, she would have kept the, the interest of the, of the people that watched LPJ Golf, even though she was from Mexico. Right. And then you have Annika, who's not from the U.S. either, but yet she became that personality and that winner that people could follow. And once they decided they were going to stop and have children, they left the tour. And, you know, I was kind of mad. I told them both. I told Lorena I was mad at her, and I told Annika I was mad at her because it was their responsibility to still carry the tour to the next level of players that they could hand off the baton to or the torch mm -hmm. to the next players that could hold that torch. Um, 
as players like Annika and Lorena. And we never really kind of got there. We, you know, we had Paula Creamer, who great player, but struggled. Should have should have been one of those players that people wanted to watch and play watch play. And, and I know a lot of people did, but she didn't become that superstar that I thought she was going to become. A lot of struggles. And, you know, we became an international tour, and then the Korean players came over here after Sari Pot was such a star right. on the LPG tour. People followed her. Then the Korean contingency came over, and which was great because these players are great players and good people, but they're not U.S. players. And, you know, as I tell everyone, the U.S. citizens, U.S. people, U.S. fans want to see U.S. players winning. Um, when I went to Korea with Sari Park, she invited me over there for an event there. They didn't want Nancy Lopez to win. I don't care how many tournaments <laughs> I went over here. They wanted Sari Park. They wanted their own countrymen to win. Right. Well, when the Korean players started playing and they were beating us, it became tough because they didn't speak English. Right. That was a, a big thing uh, for our commissioner at that time. And it was mandatory, really, that they speak English, which a lot of people got mad at our commissioner for saying that. But if, if the Korean players are going to be here, it was their tour. It was their responsibility to speak English. Same as if I went to Korea and played on the Korean tour, I needed to learn how to speak Korean. It's the right thing to do. We need players that speak English right. to be able to um, uh, accept the trophy on TV on Sunday and speak English, not have an interpreter. And I think that the Korean players have done a great job with that. They're all speaking English. We, you know, we, we love to, I love to go up to them and say, you did a great job. Because, they're, you know, they have a lot of pride, too. And if they can't speak properly, they feel a little bit embarrassed or shy about it. And I think now the Korean players are starting to really um, hold up their end of making this tour grow because it is their responsibility to help our tour grow by speaking English. But we still don't have that one player that is bringing everyone to watch LPGA golf, even though we have great players. There's just something that we don't quite have yet. We need the Tiger Woods to come out and play and win week after week, have that personality, have that enthusiasm when they make a great putt to show emotion. Right. Um, because people love to watch that. Right, I love that. We're talking to Nancy Lopez, and I get that. So let me ask you this. As a mother... And as you started having children and then having to remain a world-class athlete, what was, did you ever have any struggles? Did you have any doubts? Did you have any questions? It sounds like you were all in no matter what. This was, your first love was golf. Everything else came and then you have beautiful children. So how did you juggle that? I look back, I'm like, wow, that was, that was tough. <laughs> yeah. But I've always been very organized and I think that helped me get through those times because I knew that I wanted to play golf, but I knew that I wanted to have children. I didn't want my life to go by and golf just be what kept me busy. Um, always wanted to have children. Always wanted to be married. And uh, once I had Ashley, my my oldest, mm -hmm. um, you know, she traveled with me. We didn't have daycare, so I had to hire someone to travel with me to help take care of her when we got to where we were going because I didn't want to just pick somebody up at each tournament to take care of my little girl, and, it was, I mean, it was really tough. There was a lot of juggling that went on to find somebody that you could, you know, bring with you that would take good care of your daughter, that would teach her what you wanted her to be taught, uh, to be able to compete, uh, to be able to, you know, even for Ashley, she had colic really bad, and 
she was with me on tour, and I didn't sleep very well. No, you didn't sleep at all. The first few months of her <laughs> traveling with me, but it seemed like I played better when I was totally exhausted. <laughs> um, so when she was with me, it worked. And then two and a half years later, I had Aaron, and she traveled with me. And, th- and they were able to travel with me because they weren't in school yet. And so then we had daycare startups eventually where Smuckers um, is the uh, sponsor of our daycare still, which that started many, many years ago, which made it easier for the players to have children, to have a place to take their child while they were playing golf that day and not have to worry about who is taking care of their their child. That's brilliant. Be able to play the game, focus, concentrate, hopefully win a few tournaments, then go pick up their child at daycare and then go to the next tournament. So... There's a lot of juggling, a lot of a lot different than from the men's tour because men, you know, they have the wife, they have their babies, and they can focus totally on golf because that's their only job, uh, besides being a father, hopefully a good father. But the mother, the wife, is the one that's traveling with the kids, keeping them uh, a family, um, which I think made it a little bit easier. But then you look at the women that have to play golf, have to make a right. living whose husband probably can't travel with them, who plays golf every day but wants the kids to be with them because they want to, you know, uh, teach their children to be good people. And so there's a lot of juggling that goes on when you're a mother in any sport to try and have children, have a marriage, and have it be successful. I love we're talking to Nancy Lopez. Uh, this has been so fantastic, and we were on the total downside of a Mississippi Minute. We're going to be right back. I'm singing or swimming with you. Oh, I'd rather be swimming with you, girl. Hey, folks. If you're tired of being tired because your pillow isn't doing his job at night, give my buddy Chad and his team at OmniPillow a go. OmniPillow has a 100-day return policy, and listen to this. They will donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal is to give away 1 million pillows. It also comes with a stress cube that sells for 10 bucks. You'll thank me, I promise. Give yourself a much-deserved life's rest. Go to OmniPillow.com, enter promo code Steve Azar. That's OmniPillow.com, promo code Steve Azar, and you'll receive 20% off with free shipping. If you ask me, there's no better pillow on the planet. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I get the ball when the game's on the line. I'm Steve Azar. We're with Hall of Famer Nancy Lopez. This has been a, just a blast. I've waited a long time for this interview, and I am being totally fulfilled. So I feel good about it. Uh, Nancy. Tell me about this company that that what you're doing. The adventures, Nancy Lopez Adventures, is what you call it. Golf, golf adventures, or just adventures? Yeah, it's called Nancy Lopez Golf Adventures, okay. and people can go online and uh, look us up. I've got two teachers, uh, Teresa Zamboni and Sue Powers, that are LPJ teaching professionals um, that are great teachers. And we started this company about four years ago. And what we do is we are we're either hired sometime to come to special clubs or golf or golf clubs to do stuff for the ladies and the guys because we like to teach the guys too. Or we plan trips where uh, this, just this past year we went to Casa de Campo and we took about 35 people there 
Uh, we play golf. Um, we teach while we're playing golf. We entertain them. Uh, we go to dinners together. Um, it's just a fun golf event. Uh, we've gone to Scotland. We went to Ireland earlier this year. Uh, we took about 45 people there. We take good care of them. We teach them golf. Uh, I get to hang out with them the whole time. I don't just go and uh, have a dinner with them or just lunch. I'm with them no, the I've whole seen time. You, I've seen you in a corporate event. You're, you're incredible. You're incredible. You and Chris both so are it's just really a lot of fun to do that. That's been kind of my my love for the last four years. And then I, I got married a little over a year ago to a gentleman named Ed Russell. He loves yeah, to play golf. Love Ed. And he keeps me playing golf now, even though I can't right now with my two new knees. But I will be playing pretty soon again. And it's been, um, you know, we're staying busy, taking care of uh, our three daughters, our two grandchildren, uh-huh. uh, our families. So we're staying busy with that. Uh, I just love it. Okay, so, so so you can go online and then people, these you're just brought in all over the world, it sounds like. Casa de Campo, is that the one in uh, in Dominican, in the Dominican? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. and it was great. Yeah, I've heard great things about it. The weather was great. Um, you know, the, the, the thing about Nancy Lopez Golf Adventures, you create friendships with people that you've never met, that play golf, that have the same interests that you do. Um, and we just have the best time. And to be able to, to teach these people, we go from any level of golfer, one that's just starting to somebody that's really good and wants to even get better. Um, we do husband and wives. We have, you know, women that come. They bring their partners. We have anybody that wants to come and learn how to play golf. We have a great time with them. Well, I, I can tell you this, and I've said it on my show, and it's, it's the truth. The game of golf brought me every record deal, every publishing deal, every the relationships I've made. Uh, it just it's crazy, and it's the, but it's the one sport that you can spend all this time together at the very beginning, and you either know you're in or not, and it's it's just an amazing sport for that reason. It's like no other. I mean, I grew up playing tennis and competitively somewhat in basketball and all that and baseball and all that, but you don't have the time to walk down the fairway with somebody to to ask yeah. about their lives and to get to know them, uh, right? And, right, and it's just the blessing. So it's. It's amazing. If it wasn't for the game of golf and growing up in the Mississippi Delta, being around the great blues musicians I was around, I don't know. I mean, I'd probably be a really, really, really bad eye doctor is what I'm thinking. Like bad. Like you didn't, you didn't somebody that nobody would want to go see. <laughs> so, all right. So, Nancy, okay, so let's talk about your speech. I've seen you do speaking engagements. You come in, people bring you in for outings. I mean, is there a way that you, are you still doing that? I do. I do a lot of corporate outings. Um, there's a lot of women's events where um, you're trying to um, encourage women, give them positive things to think about. Um, a lot of uplifting events for women. Uh, that's very important. I get I get brought in for those kind of things. I come to a lot of LPG events and participate in some of the women's days that they do. Um, so I stay very busy. I was very busy last year or this year. And uh, it, it was kind of fun knowing that I was going to be able to stay home with a knee replacement because right. <laughs> <laughs> I was so busy all year um, traveling everywhere. Um, right. I, I think I was telling my husband the other day, I think we were probably home maybe 40 days, 45 days all yeah. long. That's how much I've been traveling. I know that, I know like that world. That. It's wild. You just can't wait to get home and just turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really fun. I should try surgery. Maybe that'll help me. <laughs> 
I can operate on my brain. It needs it's needed surgery for about 30, 40 years now. We're with great Nancy Lopez. Nancy, I, I you got to hug Ed for me. Uh, it's been since Monday after the Masters since I've seen him. Uh, right, right when I met I him, it was like, oh, my gosh, I love him. <laughs> you know, he's like got this great <laughs> smile. And, and I'm so glad you guys found each other. And I know y'all are just going to ride off uh, to the rest of this sunset and your life together. And just it's a blessing, right? I just... Yeah, it is a blessing. Thank you. Well, you're the best. We've been with Hall of Famer Nancy Lopez, and you've been in the Mississippi Minute, and uh, we'll talk to you later. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. From the Gallo Archives. In the house with his new book, Greg Isles. Here's what the publicist wrote. Isle sits along the icons of the top of today's crime fiction mountain. You know he's in there, right? I'm sorry? You know he's in there. Well, just pretend he's not. (laughs) He's made Mississippi his own in the same way that James Lee Burks has claimed Cajun country. With his newest novel, the number one best-selling author, Greg Isles, illuminates the intricate and complicated relationship that defines not just one small town, but the define human nature. I think Paul is lulling me into a false sense of security <laughs> yeah, before he sticks to, the knife I think, he, I think he's going to steal from <laughs> not, you momentarily. Not unless you're planning on running for office. You're okay. <laughs> Greg Hiles. Please. Again, stop. the book is... Cemetery Road. It is available everywhere. everywhere. $28.99. That's exactly right. You don't have a coupon, do you? No, I don't. I don't. Archives. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.